Hey, everybody. Welcome to the green room for Disrupt TV. We found the new speaker of the house. It's Bart Simpson. Just kidding. Anyways, <laughs> we're not talking about that. We've got an awesome lineup. And of course, two very intimate guests that we're going to have a conversation about uh, their new best-selling book. So let's go in reverse order. Before we do that, I've got my awesome co-host, Vala Ashtar. And we've got our amazing producer, Elle. But we'll go to Anne and Francis. Tell us where you're coming in from today and why all the buzz and excitement. So Anne, go ahead. Where are we coming in from? Yeah, we're coming in right outside Boston in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we get to talk to you on the week that our latest book was published, which is called Move Fast and Fix Things. And it was a strong start out of the gate. You know, you do these things, you have no idea how they're going to land, and uh, it's been well received. And so we're super energized and excited to be here. You are so modest. We are talking to the number one bestseller on Amazon. <laughs> Tell us uh, where you come in from as well. And what are we talking also, about? Uh, so Anne is downstairs in headquarters in our house. I'm in the, <laughs> I'm in the second floor office, which we call Fry Morris North. Um, mine is you. It's uh, it's got nice painting, but it's a really witness protection chic here. I this one is filled with technology and is filled with love and art. No uh, need I finally had to put a painting up behind her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no need for ankle bracelets. We're all good. We're all good. All right, well, with that, let's kick off this exciting bestseller edition of Disrupt TV. All yours, Elle. All right. Three, two, one. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We want welcome you to follow us on Twitter X at Disrupt TV Show. Send us your questions and we'll do our best to answer them in the next hour. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He is the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I see Ray on TV just about every day on uh, technology and and business news on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, CNBC. In my humble opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks, Lavala. Uh, I'm with Vala, as you guys know. He's the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence, but his new book, Boundless, A New Mindset for an Unlimited Business Success, is available now and you can pre-order it. It's one of the top selling books and economics. But more importantly, around the world, pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. And when he's not hosting, leveraging, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him on business TV outlets and of course, keynoting events at Salesforce. And of course, being on Bloomberg and insightful analyses on ZDNet, if not there and more. So, but we've got two best-selling authors 
and of course a number one book who are we have today what is going on Vala? uh ray we have uh two guests that combine are approaching like 10 million views on ted talk so yes. you and i have to step up our game francis fry and ann morris authors of move fast and fix things the trusted leader's guide to solving hard problems Move Fast and Fix Things was just launched this week. It's already a number one bestseller, so amazing. <laughs> Francis and Anne are also co-authors, best-selling books on common service and Unleashed, and co-host of TED Talk, uh, sorry, TED Podcast uh, Fixable, which helps listeners solve their toughest work problems. Francis and Anne have been recognized by Thinkers 50 among the world's most influential business thinkers. Now, please allow me to just a little bit of bio for both. Francis is a professor at Harvard Business School, serves as Uber's first senior vice president of leadership and strategy, helping the company navigating crisis in leadership and culture. Francis regularly works with companies embarking on a large scale organizational transformation. Her TED talk, this is, this is when I have imposter syndrome. Her TED talk uh, on how to build and rebuild trust has over 6.2 million views. Yeah. Uh, you can please follow Francis on Twitter at must be an early adopter, Francis Fry, F-R-E-I. Welcome back, Francis, to Disrupt TV. Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. It's great to have you. And Anne is an entrepreneur, leadership coach, and founder of the Leadership Consortium, a first of its kind leadership accelerator that works to help emerge, emerging leaders thrive. Anne's collaborators have ranged from early stage founders to Fortune 50 executives to public sector leaders and building national competitiveness. Anne's TED Talk, which only came out like in April, has got over 1.5 million views. Again, Ray, you and I need to figure I, this out. There are no slackers. <laughs> you can follow another early adopter uh, uh, on, on Twitter X, Anne Morris, A-N-N-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-S. Welcome, Anne, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. Yeah, there are a lot of unnecessary letters in my name. So just <laughs> double them up if you're trying to find me. Yeah. You're, you're easy to find. And I'm up. sorry I had to short, cut your bio short. Uh, that was about one third of what I could have said about your amazing achievements. Go ahead. Well, hey, we're really excited, right? Move fast and fix things. And you have an amazing podcast, Fixable, that are there. But one of the interesting things is you focused on speed, right? Speed is something that's gotten a bad name in business, uh, especially, and some of it much deserved. But you're going out rehabilitating the reputation of speed. Uh, isn't this the big problem in many companies, the lack of it or the, too much of it? So let's start there. Yeah, it's, it's a really good uh, observation, Ray. So you can go too fast, and that is with the theory of I'm going to move fast and break things. Uh, and we, we see that. We call that reckless disruption. Um, God, the whole valley. What's going on here? <laughs> I mean, I think that's where it started, and that's where it, uh, where it keeps going back to its roots. Um, and it did give speed a bad name because people thought I either had to be reckless or go slow, one hmm. or the other. And what we have found is that you there is a third way, which is to move fast and fix things, that you can accelerate excellence if you learn how to go fast. Um, in this accelerating excellence, this moving fast and fixing things, you can go even faster than reckless disruption. So not only did move fast and break things give speed a bad name, it wasn't even very fast. Yeah. So we can go even faster and fix things along the way. And how do you see it as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Speed's bad reputation was confusing people. I mean, one of the main lessons of our work is that the most effective leaders 
we know they're solving problems at an accelerated pace, but they're also taking care of their customers and employees and shareholders along the way. And we wanted to get the word out because this ethos of move fast and break things is still out there and still influencing the decisions that builders and operators are making. So move fast and be mindful is kind of what you're saying here. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like I like it, um, and uh, but we just like the letter X and fix, and our podcast was already called Fixable, so mindful was just been too off brand. <laughs> uh, like we're gonna re, we're gonna reclaim that letter X uh, along the way. I like yes. that. I like that. I like the letter X as well. So the trade off between speed and excellence is false. And in your book, you say the best leaders solve hard no. problems, and you said the, with words fierce urgency while making their organization, their employees, customers, shareholders, even stronger. But you also talk about that in many companies, you discover people are moving slow. Uh, and, and, and what are some of the signs that an organization is stalling? And how quickly, uh, how quickly can you tell? When they bring you in to advise them on culture, on trust, on velocity, speed, and direction, can you tell like, within minutes, hours, days, that this is an organization that's not in fifth gear, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're, they're moving slower than their full potential? Minutes, but it's not polite to minutes. mention it before hours, <laughs> but within minutes, you, you can tell. Yeah. You, can, so, you probably research before the first meeting, so you already know. You probably I, already know. Yeah. The truth is, even without the resource, even without the research, you know, when you walk yeah. in, you can feel... A, a hesitation, you can feel a lamenting, almost a, a distance from the problems. Oh, would that it were, we could solve these problems versus the high intensity. Oh my gosh, we have problems that are affecting our most precious resource, our people, and not no longer on my watch. How do we overcome it? So you can really feel the metabolic rate of an organization in everything it does. And it's not just digital immigrants companies. You're talking Uber, WeWork. These are digital native companies. They're mobile. They're social. They're in the cloud. Their tech stack is modernized for the most part. So, do you? So, it, it, is it fair to say it doesn't matter if you are a, you know, a company launched in the last decade versus a company launched 40, 50 years ago? It does not. It, in fact, uh, my apologies, Anne. I'll just. I'll. I'll start. Yeah. No. 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 It, please. It, um, it's this is not a technologically enabled metabolic rate. Um, it's it's whether or not you are leaning in and taking full advantage of your agency. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what we really wanted, I mean, and it's agnostic to industry or sector. What we really want to do is is wherever you are in this map of of building trust and moving fast, we're trying to push you to the upper right. So you're moving fast while also building and rebuilding trust at the same time. Now, for advanced learners and operators, there is an optimal sequence. You know, we we really say the the payoff of building trust is that you really you earn the right to move fast because you're far less likely to break things. So we are going to push you, and I know we're going to get into the, our, our favorite change leadership metaphor here, which is the week. At the beginning of the week, we are going to, some organizations really need to slow down a little bit, figure out what their real problem is that they're solving, figure out what's, what's getting wobbly in their relationship with stakeholders, and mm. then they need to, to start sprinting. But if you jump to the sprint without doing that work up front, then there's going to be a tremendous amount of collateral damage. And that's that's what we're trying to reduce here. Yeah, actually, that gets me excited because I love the fix map 
right? And and that's really what the the intersection between trust and speed was what you guys were talking about in the book, right? And uh, before we get to Monday, uh, helping to prioritize where we are, I mean, th this is really about how you go from the inevitable decline that Bala was asking about, right? That that pause, that stall, the reckless disruption, which we are in the Bay Area. Well, I don't speak of all the Bay Area. Uh, the responsible. Yeah, I'm the largest employer in the Bay Area. And we do things very methodically. We apply the, the, these principles yes. that we're going to talk about. <laughs> the responsible stewardship that's kind of like the slow pace of Fortune 500 companies today to getting to accelerating acceleration of excellence, right? Moving fast and fixing things. So, so we get to Monday, and that's when people figure out where all these problems are, how to prioritize what they need to go out and fix things. Um, you, this is the whole chapter talking about this is how do we figure out what are the right problems? How do we prioritize? Because emotions get in the way, fads get in the way, all these things start popping up. People are like, oh, we need to worry about this thing. And, and, and the root cause and the first principles are totally ignored. Like, how do you fix that? Because some companies forget their mission and they're like, you know, we should like, go plant some trees over here, but hey, don't worry about our, you know, PNL over here. It's like, what the heck is going on? So. Oh yeah, Ray. I I love. I mean, you, you just said so much, and you're tee up to this question, and we we agree completely. I mean, one of the problems with Monday is our own biology. So as human beings, we tend to be overconfident in the quality of our thoughts. That uh, overconfidence grows as we move up in the hierarchy. We feel like we are being paid to have ideas, not to ask questions. And so we're really trying to invite leaders to pivot and and bring curiosity into Monday and approach the problems that they're observing with real humility. What you're seeing on the surface may actually not be the root cause and the real problem you need to solve. So I could be sitting in process fatigue and not know it, and I still can't figure out my problems. What do I do? How do I surface? How do I have that honest conversation that it's broken? You know, we have a, a few techniques that we talk about on Monday. My favorite is one that we call the indignities list, which is wherever <laughs> the problem is surfacing, whichever the whatever person or group of people that are there, ask them a version of the following question, which is, what are the nicks or the indignities that you are experiencing? Um, they might, they don't have to be fatal. They could just be small ones, but just, would you just list out for us the indignities that you're facing? And just when you go in to have that conversation with someone, bring a full pad of paper, a full, a fully loaded pen, and just be prepared to write. And so we get the indignities list. And then the process is really uh, fun and optimistic. We then convert the indignities list to a dignities list. And um, we look for the ones that cost very little and make a very big impact. I love that. that yeah, we really, awesome. we really want you to be in direct dialogue with people who have a stake in your problem. Yeah. So what we like about this exercise is the indignities are usually signals of bigger underlying issues. But when you go through the process of surfacing them and then take action to address them, they're usually fast, cheap, and easy to correct. Hmm. When you take those actions and signal to the organization that you are actually ready to solve problems, it becomes a, a just a beautiful virtual, virtuous cycle of releasing energy, releasing creativity and optimism, and making it clear to everyone that you take the problem seriously. And that gets us to Tuesday, which then allows us to do what? <laughs> well, Tuesday, the, the ambition of Tuesday is to create a good enough plan. 
and a good enough plan is distinct from the perfect plan, which is this fantastical creature that's actually never existed in the wild. So you start with a good enough plan. There's lots of consultants, you know. <laughs> and, and what we know to be true about every good enough plan is that there will be broken trust at, yeah. the, at the heart of it. And yep. so we teach people how to rebuild trust amidst stakeholders uh, mm -hmm. as part of that. But the goal of Tuesday is to create the first version of mm -hmm. your plan that is definitely um, capturing how to build and rebuild trust along the way. Yeah, on Tuesday, we really want you to get into the sandbox, the organizational sandbox and play. So one of our favorite words is pilot. We run a bunch of experiments on the product side in your neck of the woods. Uh, but we do far fewer experiments on the people side and in the rest of the organization. So uh, we really focus that chapter on giving you ideas around how to strengthen the relate, really the relationships inside and, yeah. and outside your organization. I want to dig a little bit deeper into the word you use, trust. Um, and by the way, I love the inventorying for people's obstacles and, and challenges. Um, Francis, you have a very strong Twitter game. Uh, and uh, I watched a recent video of yours talking about a class you just um, where you referenced the Warriors and Steve Kerr. Yes. And how does he, how did the coach get the best out of people? And it was, uh, if I recall, like on the Y axis was skill, like showing your skill. And the, and the X axis was devotion to others, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so when you're taking inventory, full pages of notes of potential mm -hmm. obstacles that folks may have, uh, to achieve their highest standard and, and, and growth. Um, I think that's a sign of demonstrating devotion to them. Yes. And in your book, you have a strong, I hope, I hope so. Anyway, that's what I thought uh, about yeah. when you talked about uh, having that, having that list of, uh, and having those deep conversations, you emphasize trust and you see the drivers of trust, by the way, trust is the number one core value at my company. And it has been for a long time. I've been with the company eight years, every year we very deliberately, we have very spirited discussions about our core values and trust has always made, has stayed at the top. My definition is competence and uh, character, capability, reliability, yeah. integrity, and benevolence. But you talk about drivers of it and you talk about authenticity, empathy, and logic. And in your TED talk, the 6 million plus view, <laughs> the most common wobbly element of it you mentioned is empathy. Yeah. And you say it's easy to uh, crowd out time and space uh, that empathy requires it takes real time. Can you talk to us about the, the three drivers and then help our audience figure out how do we how do we fight combat against the busyness of life so that we can properly demonstrate empathy and earn trust with the stakeholders that matter to us? Oh, pleasure. So the the short version of this is that you're more likely to trust me if you experience my authenticity while also experiencing my logic while also experiencing my empathy. And it's only when you experience all three that you'll have the involuntary reaction of trusting me. And every single time you don't trust me, it will be because of one of those three drivers. And so that's the foundational part of it. Empathy is the one that most often gets in the way. And that's like, it's the real me with beautiful logic, but you are not convinced I'm in it for you. And now there'll be a lot of indignities if we go back to Monday <laughs> on that. And it's also, you know, there are so many examples of this, but we were just recently working with an organization and they had customers and you know how people have different names for their customers. Well, they referred to their customers as ARPUs, 
uh, it's capital R, capital P, capital U. Average so revenue would, per user? User? Revenue, Close. Paying, yeah. revenue paying units. <laughs> now, let me just ask you, do you expect them to have a high customer high satisfaction or a low customer satisfaction, right? The lack of empathy, like the lack of humanity. Our ARP was... have no CSATs. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah. So it was, um, so we find that, that mm. if it's the getting in touch with the humanity of others and making sure like are they at the center of what we're doing and do they experience being at the center of what we're doing and so your employer which has trust at the top and works really hard like you i believe have customer events where a lot of people voluntarily show up like an epic number of people no it's a ARPUs. festival it's a yeah. festival no yes. arpus for you no <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. hard to book a hotel room yeah. uh can can you teach that i give a lot of credit to the to the to the guy behind me because for him um it's very clear that it's not a poster it's not a signature in an email it's not a cool slogan you have to authentically, authentically yeah. so your thoughts, your words, your actions are aligned. Yeah. And then it's clear that, you know, we're, we're living our values. Yeah. Uh, can, you you're doing, that? can you teach yeah. that? Oh, to, to... goodness, yes, because he's, okay. he does okay. it authentically and he also does it with rigorous logic. He doesn't um, sublimate yes, the value proposition, right? You also do, <laughs> your shareholders are also delighted. Yeah. So I actually think it's precisely he he is showing authenticity, logic, and empathy at the same time. Whereas the ARPU company, it was the real them, and they had their logic, but with no empathy. And so we would say that they had an empathy wobble. Now, the truth is, if they called and said, we want to rebuild trust with our customers, we could do that in the same week that we could solve any other hard problem, but it would start with an empathy wobble. That's what, right. That would be the problem we were solving. Excellent. Please call. Ray, we haven't even been to Please call. We're in the first two days. <laughs> we're in the first two days, but I think, I think the important thing is that, you know, when my bot interacts with your bot, there will be no empathy. <laughs> oh, I disagree. I disagree. Uh, it's I my disagree. bot from empathy. Yeah. Yes. It's whether or not you're centered on the other constituent. Yeah. Totally. I mean, one of the, exactly. one of the exciting parts of AI from our perspective is that we may even be able to demonstrate more empathy um, in the way that we build the robots. So we're, I mean, we, we've seen some really exciting stuff from Salcon in the education space where the lessons are actually highly customized in a way that our education system can't currently do the way we've designed it. And so Much, it's not a given yeah. that yeah. Uh, in a world with more technology that empathy necessarily has to go down. Bravo. No, it's That's great true. to hear. Actually, we can design for it, right? It's by design, yeah. right? Yeah. And doing it by design, we can actually get much, much better results, right? You know, yeah. because we can account for things in mass personalization at scale at speeds we couldn't do in a human level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where, where we capture the contextual interfaces around that. Uh, you talk about some interesting things about how do we create uh, conditions for everyone to thrive. Right. And this is an important investment, right? Because ultimately we are people-based businesses. Uh, but how do we start on that goal? How do we take that first step to make that investment? 
Ray, so, I think you're okay. hinting at Wednesday. <laughs> I wanted to get to Wednesday. We're going we're, we're week last um, week. <laughs> which we, we call Make New Friends Day, which is, is something that adults generally don't like to do. Um, but the research is, is pretty clear that when we, when we do that, we're much better at solving problems. And so what we really think about a lot in our work, and we go deep on this uh, in this book on Wednesday, is how do we create the conditions for more people and more of those people to show up in the workplace and, and contribute the unique ideas and talent and capabilities that they have? And in our experience, you have to do this systematically. And you have to start by making sure that people feel safe and welcome in spite of whatever difference or whatever humanity they're bringing into the workplace. And then again, you earn the right to make sure that they are also feeling celebrated and championed for the uniqueness that they're, they're bringing to work. And so when, when organizations are, are trying to figure out where to start on that journey, which is the ultimate journey of competitive advantage, by the way. People talk about this as if it's a, as if a soft priority that, you know, may not make the cut this year because, you know, we got to really double down. We're so busy. <laughs> you know, this is the investment with the, op with the possibility of infinite return. And when we see organizations really get this right, they're adding zeros uh, to their performance metrics. But you have to start with the humans in your organization who may not yet feel safe and welcome and then you get to do the work to make sure that everyone is showing up and thriving. So instead of being thanked for our time and efforts and going nowhere, right? We, our, our job is to open up the aperture and get to a diversity of thought, right? That, that's exactly. where you're headed at. Beautiful metaphor. 100%. It's, it, my experience is that you can have a sense of belonging, but that doesn't, that doesn't automatically uh, allow you to have a sense of mattering. Uh, so, so how do you how do you make sure people uh, feel that they have a safe space and their work matters? So, how do you empower people to move fast? Because I think it was Seth Godin who said people aren't afraid of failure; they're afraid of blame. Yeah. How do you create yes. a How do you create a culture? Because I believe inevitably, the, the faster you move, the more likely you're going to make mistakes. The more likely you're going to fall. Yeah. So, so what do leaders need to do to create a space where you're encouraged to move fast? And when you do make a mistake in the way of fixing things, you're not discouraged to 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 change your habits or yeah. or, or, or a sense of mattering. Well, the number one recommendation I have is buy Amy Edmondson's new book, Right Kind of Wrong. It's it's the <laughs> I'll just say that because it talks about intelligence. And other thinkers fifty. That was great book. Yeah, she's an amazing book there. She's the thinkers fifty. She's number one on that list. She's the thinkers fifty. Just to be super clear. Yes, number one. But they don't give the rest of us ranks. But they're very clear that Amy's number one. Yeah, Amy's number one. And then there's the rest of us. And you know what? I'm delighted to be there. Delighted to live in Amy's world. Delighted. But but what she the the thing that 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 is argued here is that if you want people to feel comfortable learning from new mistakes right and we refer to it in the book as new beeps when you come across a new mistake you want to treat a new mistake in as a just as a learning opportunity to be honored and cherished and you want to squeeze out all the learning you can now repeated mistake you then want to understand what's the process that's getting in the way that's having us, because you don't learn very much from repeated mistakes. So you want to fix the process there. But from then, what we have to do is when it's a new mistake, we have to cherish it and honor it and wring out all of the learning. So the way to do this is when there is a new beep, uh, 
your body language is like, oh my gosh, amazing. Thank you for learning this on the behalf of the rest of us. What should we get? Like, like honoring it, treating it the same way we treat with, wow, you just broke a sales goal. Great job. How did you do it? Well, you just came across a new beat. Oh my goodness. What can we learn from it so that it's we get to avoid repeating that? And so I do think it's a lot of it is our emotional response to the new beeps or what Amy would call intelligent failure. Intelligent failure. You know, it just reminds me when I was younger, I was a shitty manager because I would just show my skills <laughs> and I don't think I was nearly empathetic enough or, or have had a celebratory mindset in terms of new mistakes. And, you know, I, there may be a lot of reasons, you know, my company yeah. for, for a long time was on the private equity. So you really have to demonstrate excellence all the time. Uh, but, 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 no, even, I, but I, let me I, just I, even say, even yeah. there, you just, uh, you just correlated that what you did got more excellence and it didn't. I want you to right. stay with the regret yeah. that had yeah. you celebrated, <laughs> you would have had have even it. greater excellence. I just want to be clear. I wish I could go back in time. <laughs> right. I wish I had your book. I wish I had this podcast. <laughs> I made a ton of, um, there were beeps around me all the time. So let's just say that. <laughs> but Vala, it really underscores, I think that the, this is a really trainable skill. Yeah. And we have to override our conditioning and, and arguably some of our biology here too, because we believe that our job, I'm going to just at the risk of offending your listeners and viewers, that we think our job is to not fuck up. Like number one, that's our job. And so we really have to retrain. That, would have been, that could have been our company's mantra. I mean, I mean, I can't tell you, we really had no room to yeah, every deadline, every commitment, whatever it took, it was really like a Navy SEAL mindset. It was like, yeah. it was brutal. Uh, now we did achieve a lot. Uh, and, you know, a lot of successful people and lots of successful exits. And, you know, by financial metrics, probably did superb, but it was tough. It was, uh, I and, used and to be 6'6 six, six and handsome and look at me now. It just yeah. crushed me. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was hard. It was hard. Yeah, I, it, you interesting. You brought up the Navy SEALs because we actually do see in the military some really innovative thinking around leadership and empowerment yeah. and creativity, because the stakes are so high. Yeah. Because you you have you know th these are these are jobs where you have to figure out how to make it safe to surface problems, totally. make mistakes. Where everybody learns. I mean, these, these things that have trickled into the corporate world, like after action review, it came from environments that had no choice but to systematically learn from what went wrong because we Mike lives were literally on the line. And, totally. we, and there's so much we can learn from the organizations that are getting this right, which is why in the, in the book, we really try to index on the positive examples. And we, we saw an example of that last week. We had um, uh, uh, Navy SEAL commander of SEAL Team B, Mike Hayes, who has a best-selling book right behind me, and it's titled Never Enough, <laughs> which he had to explain to us. Uh, you know, uh, he said the title was not well-liked by him, his parents, and even some colleagues, but he has rationale for the title. And it, you're absolutely right. Empathy, trust, the, 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 you know, the giving nature of Mike was incredibly clear to us. Uh, yeah. So, and, and that's the irony, you know, is is we still in in the corporate world think of those as as soft skills, and they are they are life or death performance skills to be able to create env environments where people can and show up and bring their full humanity to problem solving. 
That's yeah. what we're saying is that we want all of you and we're going to take radical responsibility as leaders of this organization to creating a context where all of you can show up and contribute. You know, and this makes a lot of sense. Like when we go back to the SEAL axioms or slow down, get smooth, go fast, right? And you're helping people to understand how to get this right at a human level before you go fast. Otherwise, everything will break. Right. And, and and this takes me still on Wednesday. <laughs> so We're still on Wednesday. <laughs> We're still on Wednesday. Um, how, how do we actually get to the point where we can, you know, empower people to move fast, right? Just to get them to the point where they understand, right? And, and you, you talk about this, you know, I mean, I think there's an excerpt about stuff that you were doing, Francis, at uh, Harvard, right? Where there was a change going on at HBS, right? And, and yeah. you were part of that. And you also talk about these uh, in your book, like about Southwest, really uh, getting them to, you know, be bad. Like, I don't know what that means, dared to be bad. <laughs> so. Yeah. So if when you're, when you've earned the right to go fast and we have, um, Friday is go fast. And what, and what we caution is please don't put Friday on Monday or you're going to have reckless disruption. Don't put it on mm -hmm. Tuesday or you're going to have reckless disruption. And so, you know, what you need to do is after you get your even better plan on Wednesday, which is really are acknowledging that we really like people who are really like us. It doesn't make us bad people, it just makes us human. We really like people who are really like us. And so chances are, we will have consulted with people who are really like us and coming up with our plan. And so here, we want you to deliberately find people from who think very differently than you do ah. to help improve the plan. Invite, like use their lenses. So go and seek difference. By including other people, you will have empowered them, you will have gotten their voices, and your plan will be even better. And so that's what we do on Wednesday. And then Thursday is storytelling day, but I'm going to skip over to Friday for a moment because I, I think your points are here. When you have license to go fast, mm -hmm. here are a couple of classic mistakes companies make. They're like, okay, I've done all of the things I'm supposed to. I'm going to go fast. So now I'm going to try to be great at everything. And here's what we can guarantee. Guarantee. It's like, what, what does Charles Barkley say? I guarantee it. <laughs> we can guarantee that if you try to be great at everything, you will end up with exhausted mediocrity. Exhaust. Oh, you will be exhausted more and more exhausted. I can see it. I know what it you looks like. You can see like. it, right? You can, can see smell it. You it. feel, I can feel it. it. You know it. Exactly. So the what we need to do is figure out what are the things we're going to be we're going to optimize on. Hmm. And reverse engineer, what does that mean you have to give up? And if you can't articulate what you have to give up, what you're going to be bad at in the service of being great, we think you're just going to go and try to be great at everything. So we force you to be equally articulate about what you're optimized to be great at and what you're optimized to be bad at so that you don't slip into exhausted mediocrity. Wow. Is, that, is that constant sense of urgency and being results oriented, is that what accelerates possibility of being exhausted? And, and uh, we and love urgency. So just to be super okay. clear, I like I, I am a very big proponent of urgency. I think our problems des deserve an urgent response. Sorry, so is this, this is this the same as is this the same? The first time I, I read about like healthy paranoia, I think it was Andy Grove, late '80s, early '90s. I think yeah. it was a Time Magazine article, and he talked about it. Intel, we have health paranoia. Uh, is that is is this is well, I, when, when, 
it's I, I think that it's probably a second or third cousin. I don't know that okay. it's a it's okay. a sibling of, okay. of it. But what we're talking about here is that you have to understand who you're serving so well and what they value from you so okay. well that okay. you know exactly what you want to optimize on. So I like to use the MacBook Air as an example that everyone can just see in their mind. Yeah. Right. When Steve Jobs introduced that, he had it in the manila envelope. He comes out and he's like showed it. It was the lightest weight laptop on the market. Best in class at weight. Yep. It was also and he was equally unapologetic. It was worst in class at physical features. It didn't have an internal CD-ROM drive. Let's date all of us on this call. <laughs> right. So, so he was now equally unapologetic about both. If he weren't unapologetic about both, the people that were doing physical features, they would have tried to get those to creep in. And the physical features would have gone up and the weight would have come down, right? The winning on weight would have come down. And so we have to not just say, what are we going to win at? We also have to acknowledge, what does this mean we're going to lose at? The classic strategy parent, what are we not it's, going to do? Yeah. What are, well, it's what are we going to not going to do, Ray? And I will even say, what are we not going to do well? It's actually a little bit harder than than that, right? Because it's not that they didn't have physical features; they just weren't very choices. good at them. So it's, yeah, this one is even good. harder. Yeah, yeah. It, we sometimes just refer to it as ruthless prioritization. Yeah. And yeah. ruthless prioritization is a gift to the organization Ugh. because what we find in organizations that are getting this right, that are making really strategic choices, what to do well, what to not do well, what to not do at all that the culture is not exhausted, burned out, you know, weighed down by uh, this pressure to perform. Mm -hmm. It's actually quite energized, optimistic, creative. And so we'll often go in and, and you know, Francis talked about within seconds being able to, you know, get a sense of what's going on. We're often looking for the emotions of the humans inside these systems. Mm -hmm. are, are they feeling optimistic, creative, uh, are they are they tapping into their ability to solve problems, or are they feeling some variation of of anxious, frustrated, uh, you know, burned out? And those really are the tells of yeah. of a of a non strategic organization. So, and we see that a lot with middle aged companies. Uh, and and what I mean by it is that they're forty years in, they forgot the mission and the purpose of the company. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got a great executive team. They've got a great group of young people coming through and the middle is just awful, right? The middle has not figured it out. The middle's been there too long. There's been stagnant. How do you fix something like that? Because that's happens in almost industry, every industry that's kind of aged out or matured, right? And, and they need a revival. May I, before Anne answers yeah, it, may I just it. offer a counter prescription? I think that the organization hasn't set the middle up for success. Agreed, agreed. And, this, and yeah. that the middle is, and that the middle is reliably underperforming because of what they're being asked to do. Yeah. Um, awesome. It's all, yeah. it's all being driven by legal and compliance and they can't think for themselves or they're not empowered <laughs> to be able to be successful. They're not empowered to think for themselves. So it's not that they can't. And we often think about, uh, we use our colleague Ryan Buell's um, <laughs> way of thinking about this, but we think about capability, motivation, and license. And license. They actually, we find that middle management has the capability. Yeah. You might have wear, worn them down so that their motivation is waning, but yep. they often don't have license. No license or agency to do so. And so, the, and if you go into that situation where people don't have license and you're like, oh, you know, get better at your skills. No, that's not the right prescription. It's give them license and then step back and marvel. 
Yeah, we love we love middle management as a place to go and learn and diagnose what's not working in the organization. It's a really powerful stakeholder group because they usually have all the information yep. about what's happening. So it's often the first place that we'll go. And if you look, if you think of them as a distinct stakeholder and you bring in this framework of trust, it, that's often a place to start because yeah, often the logic of their job doesn't make sense. They see no path to advancement, even though that's a central part of, of the contract that you have as an employer. They're often ignored. Uh, so from an empathy standpoint, they're not feeling seen. And they're, they're often told things that aren't true. And so there's an authenticity yeah. wobble there in, in that they have heard this before and no action has been taken. Or they have filled out this survey before about their engagement and they have shared how they're doing and, and no action has been taken. Yeah. And so, you know, we will start there and start pulling on the threads and, and they can unravel really in a really fast and exciting way. Yeah. Ray, we should be taking uh, their classes. I want to just sit back in your classroom class. or virtual. I don't know if it's odd. I think it's just, I, I, I think I would, I would. Yeah, we're good. Well, in the I mean, meantime, read the book. <laughs> we, just, we just wrote it all down. <laughs> so you don't no, have to take our class. Yeah. No, it's definitely on the book, right? And, and what we're able to do is end the week. But you're saying, like, you can't do this all in a day, like, for each one of these. These are just kind of steps and metaphors to, to get you out there. Um, what, you know, what do you have to do to know when you should speed up or slow down? Because I think that's, that's a corollary question to it, because some organizations just can't move as fast. So, yeah. So... I, I mean, here's what we would just have as the the thought to leave in people's head, which is at the end of successful change, no one has ever said to us, I wish I had taken longer and I wish I had done less. And yet every single change initiative, people are giving each other license to take longer and to do less. So what we would say is the best time to start to solve your most important problems is now. In fact, we almost called the book, How About Now? That that is like that, like start now, but don't go fast until you've gone through Monday to Thursday. So getting Monday to Thursday is is the prep time, right? Before you yeah. can get there, right? It's getting all the ducks in order. It's getting the it's mindset getting the ready, yeah. getting the culture in place, mm -hmm. getting your allies, right? Uh, doing a one sanity check to make sure that this makes the market, gets everyone motivated, and then boom, you're ready to go. Yes. Yes. And Happily ever after, or where do we go from here? <laughs> yeah, so. you are, then you earn the right to start it all over again on the next problem. <laughs> oh, no. Not well, we, want you to take, we want you to take the weekend off, Ray. It's uh, important to take the weekend essential. off. Uh, to do it, recharge, yeah. recover, right? Recharge, uh, recover. You know, where we weren't designed to to sprint indefinitely, so you got to take breaks. But yeah, I mean, we're really, we're really, you know, we are, we're having fun with this metaphor of of a week, and yet you can, if you just look at the hours in a week and you imagine applying that time to really making progress on your company's biggest problems, you would be shocked to discover how 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 far you can get in a single week's time i mean our, our publisher kept pushing us on this because we're like no we're serious they're like you can't be serious <laughs> you know, like, people, well, you... people will push back so we we are we are having fun with this but we want to invite you to try it you know we, we start the book with a variation on 
a quote that is essentially, you know, what if, oh, oh, what if you fail? And then, oh, but my darling, what if you fly? So fine, take a skeptical approach to this. But what if we're right? The, the, like, the more provocative question is, what if we're right about this? And a week from now, you could have made tremendous progress on the biggest problem facing your organization. And so we want you to, to try on that worldview and give it a shot. I think you're we're pretty confident. One, we've seen, we've seen a lot of it. They don't, they don't move confident. that fast either. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's talk about an industry that I'd like a week with. Let's talk about an industry I'd like that, a week or with. Or if we can get you in DC and fix Congress, that'd be even better. <laughs> <laughs> we need a problem solvers caucus that actually works. <laughs> you definitely I, should try it. What do you have to lose? A week. What do you have a week. A week. <laughs> yeah. You have 51 it. other weeks to try. Uh, other, yeah, other you can do it your way for the other 51. Yeah, that's right. We'll that's just right. take one. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on your book. Thank you for expanding our minds. I wish we could spend a week with you. Uh, yeah. And make sure to catch... consider coming back. And we should make sure everyone catches their podcast, Fixable. You're on season Fixable. two. Quickly tell us a little about why uh, we're talking about fixing things when trust is broken. That's how you're kicking it off. So. Yeah, you know, so, and I don't know if any of the, if, if either of you ever listened to Car Talk. Yeah, to, click and clack. Right, click and clack, right? And they could, you could call Bell in. And I feel like we're click and clack because it's always yes, stumped. Yes, indeed. And you could call in with any car, any make and model, and, your pro, and they would solve it. Well, yeah. that's what Ann and I, and they'd solve it in 30 minutes. We've done Car Talk for business. You can who's call click, who's in. Clack? Um, it's actually, I don't know. <laughs> Anne is the smart yeah. one. You're in Cambridge. It's click and clack. Yeah. Anne is the smart one. I'm the one who does the filler. Anne and Perfect. But I do think you can call in with any business problem and we take it. 30 minutes to solve it. Um, wow. And it could be the muffler, the carburetor, but we'll get you sorted in 30 minutes. Yeah. We're send us an with. email, fixable at ted.com. <laughs> Soon to be on WBUR. Francis Fry and Morris, author of Move Fast and Fix Things. Catch the podcast fixable. Twitter at Francis Fry, if you call it X, and Morris, A N N E M O R R I S S. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you. It was what such a pleasure. a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Congrats on the book. Thank you. Dude, mind blown. You? <laughs> that was too fast, but they did fix a lot of issues I have. <laughs> in terms of we'll catch my, them in the green room. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Maybe we'll get something so, done in five minutes. <laughs> so that was uh that was uh that was that was awesome. Uh, please okay. uh, uh you know give us a summary of what we just learned in 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 60 seconds, Ray. Because oh that's a lot of the chump we have to tell them about. Yeah. They're still on, they can see it. I think they're in the back. This is stump the chump. Every week I get stump the chump. Um here, look, I, I think most organizations are basically stuck and, and they want to do things more quickly. There's pressure from the boards, a lot of external forces that are coming at them and they don't know how to react. And I think we need to get the basic core, uh, you know, solving the root cause of a problem. But you can't just solve the root cause of a problem on your own. This is really about thinking through problems deeply, bringing the right people together, having a holistic approach that's inclusive, getting folks together so that we can rebuild trust to actually solve problems, get through tough times. And that's what organizations do, like high performing organizations do that but they don't just jump in and break things. And I think that's one of the myths that Silicon Valley taught everybody how to have a lot of bad behavior and with zero interest rates, it worked really well. So, <laughs> so here we have a book that actually goes back and says, here, let's get to the root of the problem. Let's figure out how to solve this. Uh, but more importantly, you can move fast once you get your fundamentals in place. So that's 
probably not doing them justice, but it's the best no, no, no. summer I can get. That's awesome. At the end of the day, the trade-off between speed and excellence is false. And the book tells us that the best leaders solve hard problems with fierce urgency while making their organizations better. And, and the fantastic formula of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday approach to solving the hardest problems and doing it with with incredible speed is is amazing. So it's no surprise. Accelerate excellence by moving fast and fixing things. Absolutely. No surprise. It's a best-selling book and it'll continue to be a highly recommended uh, read for anyone who's responsible for leading any size organization in any industry, in any size company. Next week, episode 339, we have Oren Workman, VP of Cybersecurity Services, at Signia. We have Trevor Rodriguez Templar, CEO of Aviso AI. And we have Carolina Daniels and James Sherman, authors of Smart Startup, What Every Entrepreneur Needs to Know, advice from 18 Harvard Business School founders, where Ooh. Francis Fry is teaching these founders. So nice, nice link to next week's uh, episode. Well, thank you for watching. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. We look forward to seeing you next week and uh, hope you enjoyed this incredible episode. Thanks all. Thanks, and we'll see you in the green room.